Good morning, ladies. We're going to get started here. If you have your outlines in front of you, hopefully they're the right ones. Week 4, Matthew 6, 1 through 18. And at the top, it's Living with Secret Righteousness. So today, we are going to be talking about how our acts of righteousness should be done for the Lord and not for others. That's why it's called Secret Righteousness. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be here as we learn and as I teach, and that um, it would just be pleasing unto you what happens here today. And I pray for everyone that made it, and um, just help us to understand your word, Lord. That's what we're after. Help us to grow. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, the main idea that I'm teaching on is pursuing God for God and not pursuing God for impressing others. Um, we're kind of talking to a little bit about deepening that relationship with God in our prayer, fasting, and giving. And those three pillars in the first century with the Jews were like their um, Jewish piety, like their measurement of religion and righteousness. So Jesus is talking about those um, for them back then, but also for us today. Like, what are your motives behind why you do what you do for um, the Lord? And it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying there's a difference between doing your acts for other people and then doing them for the Lord. So, and the overall reaching thing is that God knows your heart. God knows your heart and what's going on. So there's no hiding. <laughs> so it's something to grow and look at today. Um, recall this whole time with the sermon, Jesus is really just turning the kingdom upside down. What the Pharisees were teaching and what they were doing, Jesus is saying, like, this, isn't, this is how it's supposed to be, really. He's getting to the heart of the matter. And when he says that your righteousness needs to surpass all all of that of the Pharisees, he's saying human effort alone isn't going to be enough. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need me. And last week, Marsha talked about an ethic from above and how it's like seemingly impossible for our, our ability to reach these standards that Jesus is giving to us, and it is, because we need him. It's possible with God. It's not possible on our own. So, as we get started here, just remember that we're all growing. We're doing this together. There's some things that are going to come up today that are a little hard and some fantastic things too. So, let's get going here. Um, Matthew 6, verse 1. If you open up your Bibles, we're on Matthew 6, verse 1. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, so he says that, and when we first started here in our second part of the Sermon on the Mount, and if you just look your eyes over to Matthew five sixteen, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, I'm comparing these two because in your John Stott study guide, he asks that first question, page 30, in number two, he says, in verse one, Jesus commands us not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Yet in 5.16, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds. Is there a contradiction here? What did you guys come up with for that one? Is there a contradiction in those two thoughts? Yep, it comes down to like a fine line between your motives. Because if you read in that... Um, 5, uh, 15, or 16 there, he's saying doing it so that your 
Father in heaven will be praised. That's why you're doing your good deeds. That's your motive, to glorify him. Whereas here in 6.1, you're, you're doing your acts of righteousness to be seen. That's, that's a difference. It really comes down to motive. So it's not a contradiction. It's just a difference in motive. And that's what he's really going to hone on. And, you know, when we talked about last week, Marcia talked and then I spoke Jesus is really going through in that part, you know, with the murder and the adultery and the divorce and the oaths and that kind of stuff. He's kind of talking about how you are with others. And now here we're kind of moving more how you are with God. We're looking more relationally to God um, with our acts of righteousness. So that quote there at the bottom, uh, Marsh and I both use Scott McKnight for uh, commentary. And he says, Jesus narrows his scope, as he often does, to the orientation of the heart. And, you know, we're talking about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. So we're going deeper than the surface level here. We live in a world of evaluations, assessments, and measurements, but Jesus turns his gaze deeper because he knows that what is measurable can be faked. His focus is that his followers are to focus their deeds on God who rewards direct engagement. We're talking about relationship. In light of some of the Ravi Zacharias stuff that I recently learned, I guess it's been going on longer than I knew, but... Um, you know, things that can be faked are those outside things and, you know, what, what matters and going on in your heart. You know, we need to be looking at that kind of stuff. So let's look on to the first one. The first one, and I have it number three there, it says, Acts of Righteousness, Giving to the Needy, Matthew 6, 2 through 4. Before I jump right in, I just want to say, why do we give? Because Jesus is going to say here, when you give. It's, not, it's an assumption that you're doing it, right? Assumption that we're giving. So why, why do we give? Anne. Out of thankfulness for all that he's given. It, it, you know, in obedience, in a thankful heart of saying, we depend on you for what we have. And I've never more clearly had that message um, shown to me with COVID and how the resort income has stopped because it's in Canada. It's like, oh. What I planned for my financial means is not what he had planned for this moment, you know? So we depend on him, and we're accountable to God for what we do with our finances. So we need to say, you know, giving to the poor is also a realization of thankfulness and that we're not in control. He wants us to give. We need to give. It's what he has given to us we can then give out, you know? Kind of the same with forgiveness and merciful. We've been given it, so we give it out. So let's look in at uh, Matthew 6, 2 through 4. Let's read that portion. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what you have done in secret, will reward you. So we have some boxes there. How do the hypocrites give? What do they do there, he just said? Calling attention, showy, doing it with trumpets. You know, I don't know if Jesus was going beyond there to say they do it with trumpets, but what in this day would be like a trumpet announcement, maybe? If I were to go give to the poor, what might I do? Yeah, tell someone how good I was. Where else might I put that? Oh, yeah, the big checks, right, the news. I might go on Facebook, take some pictures of me and my kids giving, you know. And maybe the heart of that isn't, it's to inspire other people, too. You know, not all people post stuff like that is 
showy. You know, it could be just to inspire other people too, but that might be how we do it today. And then what, what is the reward of those who do it like that? The attention they get. The attention they get. Paid in full. Done. You know, people think you're awesome for a minute. And then what does a righteous man do, Jesus says? Does it quietly, gives it in secret, and then what's his reward? The father sees. You know, the, the man who is not perfection sees and says, good job for a moment, forgets about you. But no, God's like, I see you. I'm the creator. I'm perfection. And what you're doing is obedience to me and our relationship grows. That's the reward. And then the reward, reward eternally, too. So I want you to look again at page 30, or I'll just read the question if you don't have the book. It says, what does Jesus mean when he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why is this important? How do I not let my left hand know what my right hand is doing? Right. Nobody has to see it, including for your own pride. If, if I were to come to say to you, well, why are you giving to the homeless shelter? Well, it makes me feel good. That may be the case, but that's not why you're doing it, right? So not even yourself. It should be so automatic you're giving that it shouldn't be like, oh, let me get my checklist and keep score of what I've done. You know that. You're doing it out of what God has given to you. You know, you're not even, you're not even thinking about it. And... Um, in the application part of this, I put, um, so to make sure, do you give to the needy? So that's where we need to start. If we're going to apply this scripture, these, these lines here, that's where we need to start. Do you give? And if you don't, today's the day to say we need to start. Because I want you to turn to Matthew 25 real quick, and we're going to read um, the sheep and the goats. So Matthew 25, starting with verse 31, um, it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. When the Son and all angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put sheep on his right and goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in person, prison? 
and did not help you? He will reply, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So you can see that the sheeps and the goats are those that are saved and those that are not saved. And he's saying that we can't neglect those around us. And, and the reward here is the inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. We have to get involved with people. We just have to. So when you apply these scriptures, the verses that he's saying in, um, about giving to the needy and doing it quietly, we, we are assuming that it's happening. So that's the first spot, right? Inspired to start doing that with your time or with your talents or money or whatever it is. But then we have to make sure we're doing it for God. And I did one through four here. You can write down whatever you think. But it says, how to know if you're having issues in this area? How do I know if I'm giving for people or if I'm giving? This one is, um, are you upset because your actions are not noticed? That would be the first sign. Is, is something amiss there? Number two, are there feelings of jealousy when others are praised and you're not? Number three, is there irritation when you don't get your way in a church decision, even though you are giving large sums, you know, like you didn't have your way? Is that, is that a trigger for you? Or number four, um, counting numbers when you're doing a good deed. Like, oh, when I taught um, Bible study, there were 100 people there, but when Marcia taught, there were 10. You know, who, who am I really doing that for, you know? And if this is a weakness of yours, then you just need to ask God to make his power and his strength perfect in your weakness. You just need to go before the Lord and think about that one. Okay, we have two more to get to, so we're going to keep going. The next one I'm going to do is fasting, and you'll notice I've completely skipped over prayer, and that's because we're going to go back to it, and um, I have a video on that one. So if you just bear with me here, we're going to go to Matthew 6, 16. And we're talking about fasting. Now, this is an interesting one, and I'm going to be very transparent right now, and you guys can scold me later for sure, but I have never fasted before. I have never fasted for... God ever. I mean, I fasted to try to lose weight, <laughs> but um, I haven't. So this was a super eye-opening. I feel like, you know, when Jesus talks about giving milk to the babies and then the older ones, I feel like I'm eating, chewing baby food here. So fasting. In the early Testament, before it got changed, it was happening when there were like wars, when there were grievous things going on. Um, you know, um, before certain holidays, the, the Day of Atonement and Confession and things like that, that's, that's when it was done, okay? And, and obviously fasting is not having food or drink for a certain amount of time for purposes of like focusing in on God, kind of denying yourself and, and realizing that he's the one that's in control. That's kind of the purpose of it. The Pharisees changed it to like a legalistic thing. They did it on Mondays and Thursdays. And if you remember in scripture, Luke 18, when that Pharisee gets up and he starts praying like, I'm so glad I'm not a leper. I'm so glad I'm not a sinner. He says, and I even fast twice a week and give a tenth of what I have. So we know that they were doing it twice a week, like legalistically. And then when we read in scripture here, this is what they say. <clears throat> 
This is what Jesus says to them. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to the Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, if the people are fasting for the purposes of self-denial, but they're actually doing it to get attention, it's just complete void. It doesn't even make sense. They're doing it for men, and, and it's not about self-denial because they're trying to get praise. So let's fill in our, blo our blocks here. What did the hypocrite do when he fasted? Yeah, put on a gloomy face kind of disfigured, made himself maybe look worse than he actually was. So they would know, oh, he's fasting, he's holy. And what was his reward? Attention, showing men, noticed. The focus was on them then instead of what he was actually trying to do. And what does a righteous man do? Jesus says, put oil on his head. And, and I was reading commentary, that was almost like a lotion. Like, almost make yourself look better. Make it not be obvious. So nobody has to see it. It can stay unseen. But who will see it, the reward then, is from the Father. And then um, I have an example here, Joel 2.12. <clears throat> this says, even now, declares the Lord. Now this is Old Testament. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Render your heart. Render your heart, not your garments. Because you know when they got upset and troubled, they used to rip their clothes. And, and um, he's saying, don't do that. Focus on your heart. Back to that heart thing, all the way back in the Old Testament. And what was happening before God said this was a pandemic. It was the, the locuses were taking over. You know, So he's saying, when this is happening, turn to me. This is a grievous situation. This is when things are really bad. He's saying, come before me. Focus totally on me, not yourself, and pray before me. Fast. That's what he was calling for them to do. Now I want to go to a New Testament example in Mark 2. If you want to turn there. One book over here. Mark 2, 18 through 20. Now this is when Jesus is questioned about fasting. This is the Pharisees. Now remember, they're why they're calling it into, into question. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Which John is he talking about, by the way? John the Baptist. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Okay, so... If fasting is for grievous things and for wars, and that's what it's meant for, to really, when bad things really happen or when you need, you know, to go before the Lord and there's sin or there's something, why would his disciples not fast then? Because who's with them? Jesus. Like, we have the kingdom right here with you. There's no reason to fast. This isn't a grievous situation. But it will become grievous, right, when he leaves. So let's flip to... Um, the next example I have there, Acts 13.3. This is when they're about to send off Paul and Barnabas to go start the work. Jesus has um, 
you know, died already. This is Acts 13, 3. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So that's just an example of Jesus saying it will happen. And he's saying, when you do fast. So I believe there's room for fasting, even now. Even, I, I think about, well, when could I fast? You know, what could I do? And um, it's really a call of the Holy Spirit is what I've learned through my reading here and that um, it's not a legalistic deal where it's Monday and Thursday, but it's when bad things are happening, when there's a death, when something is wrong, when something's grieve, you know, you have to grieve about something. So in the application, do you fast? And then I thought, maybe these ladies all fast and they're doing it in secret. Like they're just... Everyone is fasting. I know nothing about it because they're totally lettered to the law here. But I don't know. But that's for you. I don't know. If you fast, I'd like to hear about it. Um, and not for show, but just for, just for education, encouragement, understanding, right? So number one there, make sure your fasting is for the right reasons. If you're going to fast, the motivation matters. It's not for show and it's not for reward. Right. Your breakfast doesn't, that's not it. So, yeah. And then number two there, it's not legalistic. It's happening when the Holy Spirit is calling, or sacred moments, the Holy Spirit is calling you, something is grievous. Um, and again, it's seriously seeking God. It's putting aside, you know, kind of a self-denial and just totally focusing on God. So let's think about situations just to get our minds going here. When could you fast? Like seriously, let's think about what are some, let's say some things of when you could fast. A huge decision to make. When you know you're in spiritual warfare. You know, maybe there's a death of a loved one or a dying, someone's dying. You know, that might be a time to, to fast. Maybe when you realize your own heart's not right. And then number four there, I kind of want to say that some people should not fast. Would you agree with that? There are some people who should not fast. And I'm thinking of our teenagers who might have body issues that might lead to something, you know, start off with right intentions and then, you know, something else goes awry with that. Or people who are diabetic or have medical situations. I, I don't know. To limit yourself or, yeah, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, that is actually what he's referring to, though, referring to food in that, right? But I do think there is a, to limit yourself and to take a break from things and get into self-control. Yeah, for honoring God. Yep. Okay, the next one that we're going to go to is praying, the acts of righteousness here. So let's um, flip back then to Matthew 6, starting with 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to, into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we're going to stop there just a second. So what would happen in the first century is why they would get on a street corner. You know they prayed at certain times, right? Like morning, I'm, I'm just doing noon and night. That, that would be so. If I were someone who wanted to be seen praying, I might make sure that I am on a corner at noon to be able to be seen, right? So they would just manipulate their day to be able to be seen, and that's what they were doing. And so... Um, the press, you know, the precise time, then they could be showy and mesmerize people by their words and their their righteousness. So, in our box here, it says, "What does the hypocrites do?" So they pray standing up for an audience, and their purpose is to be seen by men. And their reward is the amazement of the people. Wow, so great! Use a lot of words. But Jesus says the righteous man prays in secret in a secluded place. Now Jesus publicly prayed. I don't think this is against publicly praying, but it's having the motive. So when I go up to pray, am I nervous because of what everybody else thinks? Or God is my, my audience of one? You know, it's thinking of that secret place between you two, even when you're in front of people. Because we, we are called to pray in front of people. And then what is the reward? God hears and honors it. It's that same idea. Like, it's that relational. God is hearing. God is, you know, the creator is listening and hearing and knowing what's happening. So how do we pray? Number one, we keep our prayers genuine and directed to God, knowing he is the audience. Two, we don't heap up empty phrases, Right? The, the phrases that we're going to talk about should pass through the heart, not just the brain, not just saying things for the sake of saying them and over and over and over again. When might we be guilty of something like that? When might you just say something because you're saying it? I can think of two times. Okay, like with the rosary. Yeah, you don't know the heart, but that could be in church. Even us in church here, saying things that, you know, is not really passing through the heart. We're just saying them to say them. The other thought I was thinking. I thought of uh, years ago, my dad taught us a little, almost a poem-type prayer to say for grace. And I pass that on to my kids and on my grandkids, but I thought it's really an empty thing. It's not a real. Like a bless us, O Lord, in these, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, like a sing songy. And you're talking about meal times, right? right? Right. That's what I was thinking too. Meal times might be you just want to eat and okay, bless the Lord. These things for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, now I lay me down to sleep. Yeah, bedtime stuff. Sure. Okay, but then um, how to pray. Jesus teaches it here. So number three is the Lord's Prayer. So that can either be a model, 
of how to pray, how he's lined it up, and we're going to talk about the model, or to recite it. It's very powerful. And the more I've studied and we're going to talk about now, I just, um, again, learning more stuff in Scripture. It's, it's awesome. It's exciting. So let's go through. Then he said, then this is how you should pray. And I take Jesus at his word. This is what we should be praying. When James talked about this a um, couple weeks back, he, and he encouraged us to say it every day. And um, I did do that, and I think... Now that I study it more, I'm like, oh, I need to say it not just for a week. James said say it for a week every day, but I think I say, let's keep going here. So let's look at how I've broken it down. Um, in your books on page 32, the first question there is, what natural divisions do you observe in the Lord's Prayer? Okay, so let's look at the divisions. On the left-hand side, I have um, the little bar, and it's, a line there, and you're supposed to write in there, that first division is God-focused, and I call it yours. And that'll be clear why in a second, because it's your name, your kingdom, your will, yours. The second division there is us-focused. It's the we. And notice this is in communion. This isn't give me my daily bread, give us. Okay, this is a communion of us. So, First one is God-focused, yours. The second line is us-focused in the we's. Now, if you go over to the other boxes where it says reflects, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, just for a second, what is, um, is Jesus' command to us? To do what? Love God and love others. So look at the Lord's Prayer like this as it's kind of blocked up. I don't know if you realize this before. It's pretty obvious, but it's cool when I learned it and, and to think about it, it's about loving God and loving others. So the two blocks underneath reflects the first one should say love God and the second one should say love others. And this whole prayer is so amazing because remember Jesus is talking about what his kingdom, you know, what the kingdom is like and what the Pharisees are doing and what we really should be doing and focusing on the heart of the matter. So, Let's look at this. So who is the first part, um, our Father in heaven? So who is this directed to? Our Father in heaven, right? The Father. So this was important, too, back then because they had so many little g-gods, right? They, people were saying things all the time. So if a, if a, you know, a pagan or someone who was going to come and look at this prayer, look at this teaching, this is going to God, the Father. So it establishes who we are praying to, and the point of that it's the Father also established a relationship for us. It's our Father. He's the leader. He's over us. He's, he's loving. You know, when I grew up without a dad, some people say, oh, well, the reference to God is can be, but for me it was so comforting. It was like, I have a Father, and He is in heaven, and that was so precious to me. So I, I think it could go either way. Have you guys heard that before? Some people might not like God because of their earthly fathers type of thing. I could go either way there. So, and then it's broken up into petitions. And the first one is your name. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean, hallowed be your name? Honor. It actually comes from the word holy. So this is a petition and a prayer for God's name to be restored that his name would be lifted higher than everybody else's name. God, make your name holy. Hallowed be thy name. You're petitioning for 
a priority amongst people. How will be your name? How will be your name? How today could we pray this amongst what's happening? How is God's name being defamed or taken out or canceled? Swearing. The easiness of swearing. How about the, taking it out in the Pledge of Allegiance? How about taking it off money? You know, making less of God's name. So this is a prayer. When we're thinking and we're praying through this, is how will be your name, Lord? Make it holy. Make it rise above. May everybody know your name. You know, so when we use the Lord's Prayer as a model, we can be thinking through these things more than just saying it for the sake of saying it. Petitioning for him. Bring your name higher. Make people know. His name is the highest, but we're talking about having people know that it's the highest. Okay, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Has Jesus' kingdom come? We've been talking about this this whole time. Has it come? Both. So it's come how for us? In the Holy Spirit. So we are his kingdom people. The kingdom is now. And then when you say both, Andrine, what did you mean? It's yet to be completed. So when we're praying this, we're petitioning to say, help people to surrender. Help the spiritual reign. Help Jesus get the hell off earth. Right? Get the hell within other people off of the earth. Your kingdom come more and more and more. You know? That's what we're petitioning here. And then, your will. So, your kingdom come, petitioning for more, more growth, more people. Your will be done. What is being petitioned here? On earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about petitioning that one day it will be complete. Bring it into completion. We're talking about surrendering and submission and allegiance to his will. That's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want for other people. We want his kingdom to be the highest amongst everybody. So then it says in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Now back then, a lot of them associated bread to manna. And that's when they had been delivered from slavery. They were not quite in the promised land, but they were in the wilderness and they needed that manna in order to survive each day. So that's kind of how we are. We are not slave to sin. We are not yet completed. Give us today what we need. Spiritually, physically, what do we need? This is a petition to say, give me spiritual sustenance. Help me to be able to do what I need to do today. And then also about recalling the gifts and sharing with other people. Give us the bread and we will share. That's what they did in Acts. You know, the first church, they, they lobbied all their stuff together and, and shared with other people. So give us our bread. Let's love others. Lord, give us what we need to, to be able to do it. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have forgiven our debtors. This is a petition to be forgiven. This is a petition to help us to forgive others because we are kingdom people. We are completely based off of forgiveness. That's how we're in the kingdom. So 
Jesus is so serious about this. Um, look over in 514, just a couple of verses down. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He's serious about forgiveness. And I take this to be true, what he's saying, that if you do not forgive, you have not forgiven, be, you will not be forgiven. But why do you think that is? We've talked about this a lot. So what do you, can you remember? Why could he say that? None of us are perfect. Our common ground as kingdom people is that we need forgiveness all the time. So if we understand that, that gift that we have in forgiveness from him, if we truly understand it, we would be able to extend it to other people. And if we don't, then we have to really reevaluate. You have to be a forgiving people if you're a kingdom person because that's our common ground. And what is forgiveness? It's releasing your right to retaliate. It's understanding that others are image bearers of God. I don't believe it's necessarily about being happy, happy. You know, I feel like it's not about I need to now be your best friend. I need to, you know, you need to protect yourself too, but you need to be able to forgive and say, you're an image bearer of God and I wish you well and release that I want revengeance. And Jesus says, um, if you do not forgive men, it's not if you struggle. I don't believe it's, I believe it's a struggle. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be a struggle to forgive some things, obviously. But it needs to happen. You need to at some point arrive at that. And if you don't, I would say go back before the Lord. Because that's what he's saying we need to do. As our common ground in the kingdom of being forgiven in the first place, we need to be able to extend that out to other people. There's no question there in his, what he's saying there in the next verses. So the rest of the um, deliver us part, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is a petition about his guiding hand to steer us from our weaknesses. Him providing provisions when we're in the garden. Jesus was tempted, you know, in the garden. He didn't want it to happen, but he accepted it. And then also when he was in the desert, the guiding hand of the Lord is Jesus was just recalling scripture and using that. That was his guiding hand. So that's what we're petitioning for. Deliver us. Also protecting us from the grasp of, you know, the devil, Satan, in all his evil ways. And then um, the rest of it that we usually say is actually not in here. So let's read the Our Father together as it's written here, starting with um, Our Father in Heaven and ending. Okay, are you ready? Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in Heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
Now, as we go back and we can either recite this prayer or use it as a model, think about these things and how you can be praying for these different things that we've just talked about. I'm going to be showing a video in just a little bit, and um, this woman is doing the, it's called the spoken word, and I have the, um, the words on the back. I would say when you're watching the video, maybe don't read it because it kind of loses the effectiveness of it, but if you want to go back, because sometimes she speaks really fast, but what she's doing is um, kind of modeling how to use the Lord's prayer as, you know, the Lord is teaching us how to pray, how to focus on him, how to love others, and, and what's happening. So she's kind of just, she's using the Lord's Prayer, but she's going beyond, you know? And I'll, we're going to get to that in a minute, as Justin's setting it up. But I want to talk about our relationship to God. All of these things, God cares about how we have our acts of righteousness, and that we're not putting on some kind of a fake show for other people, that we care to do things for other people because our relationship with him, realizing what he has given us, what we're going to extend to other people, giving, praying, and fasting. These are all ways that we can show our relationship to God and deepen it. Deepen it in fasting, deepen it in prayer, deepen it by understanding our things that we have are not, he gave it to us, so we're going to extend it to other people. And doing it because we want to lift his name up. We want other people to know that our God and a relationship with God is worth having. You know, that people can see them and be like, this woman is on fire for God and she's doing things. And I want to know that God too. So when we look at our relationship with God, the first thing there is loving God with your heart, soul, and mind. Marcia talked about this in the Beatitudes, having that singleness of heart towards God. What we're doing is for God, not for other people, and continuously just making sure that's, how we're, that's what we're doing. Seeking God's glory, not man's. You know, focusing on his name, not lifting up somebody else's. But he's giving it us all these things, and we're doing it and kind of using God to make ourselves look better. That isn't where we want to be. And, and to know that we're always in God's sight, that we cannot hide from him. He knows our heart. Every one of these things that Jesus talked about is I know your heart. I know why you're doing what you're doing. So it's really about checking yourself and saying, you know, how am I living each day right now in the things that I do for men or for God? And then trusting in his promises. When he says he has a place prepared for you and he has rewards and the reward is in the relationship alone, that is a wonderful blessing, way more than a man could be like, oh, good job. You know, we want to go in here, well done, good and faithful servant. So when we listen to her prayer, think about the words and um, in relation to what we've all learned. And then at the end, if there's time and if you want to, we can sing too because there's a singing portion too.
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That name, the name we cannot tame and would not aim to try. For your names above all names relentlessly shows its fame and effortlessly holds its claim. Your name, it is holy. The name is the only name, the one that can be known as the I am. And so we stand here in your presence and we pray here in deference and we ask, may thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It can be done, it will be done. The work's already begun on earth as it is in heaven. In you and me, friends, can you see the we that we would be if he had not set us free to be the we that he could make us be? Our hearts are exchanged, our lives have been rearranged. May our passions begin to change because he has beseeched us, unleashed us, bequeathed us. See, the keys to his kingdom, the work that must be done here and now, we can plant and plow. He will show us how. So don't wait. Don't hesitate, don't let it percolate, or let time confiscate the power that we have in this day and hour. My brothers and sisters, we cannot resist this. It is our existence to become his assistance, to make exchange, to enact change, and to rearrange all for his name. And in this virus epidemic, with or without physical academics, where fear and panic are systemic, may our hope become pandemic. Now, so that when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we might mean instead, God, would you please give unto us the things that you would have for us so that we all might become victorious. In the face of all this unknown, help us put and proclaim our trust in you alone so that you may be known and shown and through your glory be named known only and especially through this. Our old normal may be gone. Church, it's time for us to sing a new song as our hearts burn with fire. Would he turn our desires to you to do that which you would have us do? But first we must amend. We must think and we must do things to attend to the ways that we still pretend to be something other than the life you've uncovered. So search our hearts and know us and show us the brokenness in us. Bring to mind our lapses and forgive us our trespasses. Let the light of your face erase our disgrace. Would you replace the trappings of this place by the power of your grace? For it is by him that we live and we give and we start to forgive and choose not to pass judgments on those who affront us, who trespass against us. You see, because perfection forgave us, that means we can bring forgiveness of others. In your mighty name, remove all our stains and precede us and lead us not into temptation, but towards your redemption made possible by his death and resurrection. Father, please deliver us to the power of the resurrected, the power it has seized us, it has freed us. So let why? Because we have seen Jesus. My mind cannot fathom the wonder that has come, that 
on fire for you and I pray that we would establish and grow in our relationship with you and that we would do it and show it by loving other people well and that we would do it for your holy name that you'd be lifted up and we'd be people that people couldn't help but look at and say her light is shining Lord and I pray that um, you would be with us and help us to meditate on these things on our own at home and just lift you up each and every day Lord because you're worthy In Jesus' name, amen.